0: Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors Podcast, the voice of conservation brought to you by Michigan United Conservation Clubs. The Michigan Out of Doors Podcast is brought to you by our partners at Michigan Oil and Gas Association and the Michigan Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Habitat Grants, which funds our On the Ground program to improve public land wildlife habitat. Sign up for a project near you at www.mucc.org slash on the ground. Welcome back to the Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. We've been away for a while due to some technical issues, and also we had a lot of other stuff to do. Yeah, mostly. We had other stuff to do, I think. Yeah. But with the summer coming up, the legislature's slowing down, and what we can do is, instead of fighting the legislature, we can talk about them.
1: Yes. (laughs) We have a few minutes to... uh... You know, keep the pod tra- podcast train rolling here.
0: Yep. So I know Mike Avery is going to be excited. He's been asking me when we're going to have a new episode up. So I'll, yeah. I get to tell him that I'm very excited. Um, but, Logan, you just got back from the NRA annual meeting.
1: I did, yeah. spent the uh, last four days or so down in uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky this year. So uh
0: good spots where we had the ATA show yep. earlier in the year. Yep. So that was all bows. I assume this was all guns uh, NRA show.
1: You know, honestly,
0: it was a little less guns and more equipment
1: and some other stuff than okay. it's been in prior years. They had a. I think that's mostly attributed to they had it at the uh, Louisville Expo Center there, which I think is where you said ATA was. Right. Right. Um, and that's a uh, it's a pretty large facility. Uh, this year's show covered all 11 acres of the uh, the indoor expo center facility there. So uh, it seemed like it was a little bigger, a little better planned out.
0: What? So. Uh, so I just I just imagine that that's just like a whole a whole lot of hey man. I like guns. Hey man. I like guns, too. Cool. Are we just best friends now?
1: There's a lot of that. Mostly <laughs> Do we just become best friends? Mostly after the expo, you know, <laughs> around town at the various uh, events and meetups and whatnot. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot of gear. Uh, obviously, you know, this isn't specifically a, a trade show or, you know, something like SHOT where the, the main focus is debuting new products and, and doing business deals and whatnot. This is the primary focus. You know, it's the NRA's annual meetings where members get to vote on the board of directors and they they bring their, you know, uh, speakers in. And this year they, you know, endorsed for president this early and, and, uh, and all that. But, you know, like I talked about last year, it's ballooned into kind of a big gun show too. So it's a... Uh, You know, it's a fun thing I try to do every year and go down and get to know these uh, manufacturers and distributors and see if you can uh, run into, uh, you know, some big names while you're down there, too.
2: Yeah.
0: So I guess it was a little bit like the ATA show because in that that workout session, Mm -hmm. that was a gun show. You listeners. can't you can't see it yeah, now, but Logan is rolling his eyes so hard. <laughs> Rolled through my skull. Yeah. So I gotta ask though, so, because now suppressors are legal in Michigan. Absolutely. Um, did you see some suppressors down there? It's something that I don't know if, if it would even have caught your attention before that. Now that you can use them for hunting in Michigan, is that something that you're seeing more interest in there?
1: Well, I don't know if it's it has anything. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure it does have a, a partial. That's a partial factor, and it is, you know, the the ASA, the American Suppressor Association, is working very hard on getting suppressors legalized, and, you know, their goal is all 50 states. Obviously, that's not going to be possible with some of the states in there.
0: Well, and here... Here, Knox Williams with the ASA and then Dakota Moore with the NRA Mm -hmm. were we're at the commission meetings. Um, Our our affiliate, the Trappers Association, weighed in on that in support as well. Right. Um, And and that passed, um, I think that was back in March at the Natural Resources Commission meeting that was legalized in Michigan.
1: Yep, that was in March. And, yeah, now it's uh, uh, legal in Michigan to to hunt with suppressors, which... I think is great. Uh, down at the AAC booth, they're a big manufacturer of suppressors. You know, they part of their booth every year is they have a giant map up there. It's you know, twenty by thirty. It's it's a big map that shows all the states that hunting is legal. And for the first time, Michigan was you know lit up on that map as well. So that's that's a good thing in my in my opinion. But uh, you know, my focus was definitely on on suppressors this year because. Now I can use them for coyote hunting and, and other hunting, so I kind of want to educate myself more so. It's kind of gone from a, a novelty for me, you know, something that would be cool to have, and, you know, yeah, I could shoot my ARs without ear pro on. Uh, but now it's kind of gone a little more into functionality for me. So I checked out uh, uh, two of the big ones I saw as uh, Blackhawk came out, announced there. Line of suppressors at the NRA show. That was a the debut there. And Blackhawk makes, uh, you know, budget-priced tactical stuff normally, but now they're getting into the, the suppressor game, obviously. And they had uh, some nice, not cheap, but uh, you know, mid-range suppressors that they debuted. And then uh, another big player getting into the suppressor game. And they had they had some stuff last year showing it off. Is a six-hour which obviously is known for, for their firearms manufacturing and, and their ammo manufacturing now, but they had a good portion of their booth dedicated to their, their suppressor lineup coming out. Uh, and then you had all the big big players for suppressors, you know, Gem Tech and AAC and everybody else that, that was there, but they definitely had a much bigger presence this year. And I'm sure, like you said, part of that's related to the, the hard work the ASA is doing making it legal, making it, taking this from a novelty uh, to a more functional thing that you can, you know, easily fit into your your hunting lineup of firearms there.
0: And, and we will be having um, a little bit on the different suppressors that are available and, and their utility for hunting. Um, actually, in the fall issue of uh, Michigan Outdoors magazine as well, so you'll be able to catch some of that there.
1: Yep, yep. So that was a... Uh, yeah, definitely an increased presence there uh, this year. The other big increased presence that we noticed, and it was such a big increase this year that it almost became a joke, was the uh, the what do you call it? The deluxe cooler market that uh, <laughs> you know Yeti's been kind of
0: kind of the the go to brand for. You know what? I actually at the last show I went to mm-hmm. was the. Um, northern michigan's outdoor expo right a little bit smaller than the nra show just a smidge just a smidge um but they actually had the guys from um uh siberian coolers okay um there i don't know if they they had a thing down there but actually being the guys um from our deer camp all pitched in and got the full size deluxe siberian cooler mm-hmm. um there and i'll tell you what i i can't wait to use it i can't wait to put it to use and we're gonna have to get a lot of use out of it but to we,
1: to justify that price tag, you're going.
0: Yeah, but you know it, it, it made it made sense for us in the fact that we're going to be in Deer Camp for a week. Oh yeah. Um, we had four guys able to pitch in on it, mm-hmm. um, so so that made sense for us when when we were looking at that. So it, um,
1: it absolutely does have kind of a, a niche market. I just couldn't believe the amount of coolers and cooler companies that were were down there. And it's blowing obviously, up. Obviously Yeti's doing brisk business. You know, everybody right. knows Yeti the brand. Yep. Everybody, you know, knows somebody with a Yeti cooler. Um, oh, I
0: mean they're in the they're in the country song yeah. But it can yeah. buy me a boat. Can buy me a Yeti one ton. Yep. Ice down. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to put you guys through that. But I mean, it's it's culturally
1: significant enough that it's making it into country songs. It it is, and uh, Yeti's kind of the go-to brand. But there are a lot of other companies that you know, Cabela's in the in the market with their own branded ones now. Uh, there's a company called Orion or Orion. I forget how. They're... Right. There's there's Orion. There's yep. I think
0: Grizzly. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know if Grizzly was there. Yep. Uh, But yeah, they they were there, and uh, they had,
0: you know, they all have their little niche sort of thing. Yeah, and and so so why these coolers cost so much? I mean, really, what what they're doing with these coolers is they're almost indestructible. You know, they fall off. They're bulletproof. Yep, yep. Yep. Now that's part of it, but the other part is they keep stuff cold for a very long time. Um, you know, come with uh, ours at least came with. uh, a divider that doubles as like a cutting board. Yep. But, you know, when you're looking at being in camp for a week where you want things to to stay cold, which, you know, mid-November it's going to stay cold okay, but you get a warm spell. Not only that, but you want to keep afterwards, you want to keep your game cool, and, and that's a big thing. We want to keep all of our food and drinks cold throughout deer camp. We want to make sure that when we get a deer, we can keep that Cool uh, that the ice isn't melting all around our our Deer like happened with mine last year um, that that's staying dry and cold and, and I think part of that too is 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 the concentration on the wild game aspect of hunting and fishing.
2: Right,
0: I, I think that come those come together as this idea that you know it's not just about hunting for the fun of it. It's that we're we're getting meat here and taking care of that meat sometimes requires superior equipment as long as you can get it or like with our case you just get a few guys to go in on it together
1: yeah absolutely and you know as, as much as i don't particularly see a need for you know the bulk of my hunting is is done for bears and yeah we you know get a bear and we don't want to take three hours and run it back home or or whatever so we we have to keep it cool overnight but the the cooler we would need from yeti to do that uh, they had their whatever that couch-sized one. They had that there. It's
0: about the size of the one, of the Siberian that we got. Well, it's fifteen hundred yeah. bucks. Is the one? That we, <laughs> we're maybe not that we one. Were okay, maybe out, the yeah. next size down. No, you could. Yeah, it was like now the Siberian we got was four hundred bucks. So we each pitched oh, in a hundred. Oh, yeah, that's yep.
1: not what I'm talking about. No, they had. This was the size of a casket. <laughs> you know, and it
0: was. Well, well you know, you, you got high ambitions for the bear that you're. Bear that you're gonna get,
2: right?
1: Right, know? yeah, no, and, and but uh, you know, as much as maybe I don't have a use for it, it's obvious that there is a big market out there, sure, that does have a use for it.
0: Yeah, now I'll, I'll be honest, if I can afford it, I got a use for it. Well, you know, true. when it comes to hunting gear, um, you know, especially when it comes to keeping your game cold, to, to me, that that's the first priority, yep, you know, so so. I get it from the sense of if you're going to invest money into hunting equipment, and if food is the top priority for the way that you hunt, then you then, then you then why wouldn't you invest more in your cooler than maybe, you know, an extra luxurious tree stand or right. you know that that kind of thing. Definitely, the uh, coolest one I. In saw. fact, I'd put a cooler over like an ATV, and wow. and how many how much more are you spending for that? So if if right. the first priority is 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 for meat. Then why not put put your okay. priority, your spending priority, into taking care of that meat? Right.
1: I, uh, the coolest one I saw was from a company called Orca. They had their Orca Pod. It was a backpack-sized one. Oh yeah. It went on your back. It was kind of in a backpack container type thing, and you know it was supposed to keep your your ice frozen for three or four days. I forget what they said, but that was kind of new and kind of cool too. So very yeah, cool. Very
0: cool. What's the you told us last year, but was it different this year? What's the the coolest product that you saw there? And and not putting any restrictions on how you define that, but just what what is the the product or the the site or the exhibit or the booth that really just popped out to you?
1: Oh man, that's that's tough. This year, I would have to say there was a significant. Uh, a significantly smaller number of new products revealed here uh there was some new stuff you know in the gun industry revealed at shot but as far as the NRA show there wasn't you know a lot new a lot of brand new products uh I would say the coolest thing for me overall was taking a walk down the uh you know they kind of have the outfitters off you know the section for the outfitters, right? Where, you right,
0: know, like they have it outdoor animal,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, but bigger, yeah, but a few more of them. You know, you can go yeah. book your safaris or you know your hunting trips or whatever you want to do. But the uh, this year they really dedicate a lot of space to some really cool, unique taxidermy. That was uh, it was pretty cool. Some of the white tails they had, and I'm you know sure some of these were pulled off of farms and whatnot. So you got to take them with a grain of salt, but it's still cool to cool to
0: see. So you know what. That's where I should have made that comparison on the cooler. To what? Far you should be putting than. more into the care of your meat than into uh, how how you display okay. your trophy. Okay. Yeah. You know. So when we look at you know, are we hunting for meat or trophies? If we're truly hunting for meat, then you shouldn't have any problem putting at least as much into making sure, making sure that you're taking care of the meat from the game that you hunt. You should be putting at least that same amount into that over putting into you know how you display what you hunted yeah. if you're truly hunting for meat
1: yeah, I oh, I agree, hundred percent. I'm not not
0: not to buzzkill. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> it was cool to see. But personally, you know,
1: I'm not a guy that spends anything on taxidermy. Right.
0: You know? Well, you saw me. I I, I DIY Euro mounted, and I did not do a very good job of it. Mm-hmm. The the buck yeah, that your, I got this
1: year. Your um, buck. Yeah, I I just personally, I'm not I'm not huge into it. So, yeah. you know, but, but, it's, but when it's, it's done well, we it's so it. impressive when it's done well. But to uh, you know, go back and one product that I would say stood out for me. Um, it wasn't the biggest or flashiest thing, but Stoger has a, a new pump shotgun they've got coming out mm. that's, uh, it was a very solid gun, a great entry gun to get people into hunting. The MSRP on it's two ninety nine. Oh, wow. So, you know, coming from a, a standpoint of getting everybody into the woods we can, I thought that was an awesome thing that, that Stoger's doing, which, you know, they, they make quality shotguns. Uh... To give people an entry point into maybe you know deer hunting or, or duck hunting or whatever without breaking the bank or even being that big a financial commitment for them. So
0: you know that's that's so important. Mm-hmm. You know the I'm, I made a post about it this morning on Facebook. I was I was looking back. I saw one of those the Facebook memory posts where they show you a post that maybe you made five or six years ago.
1: Oh, on your personal on your personal yeah, Facebook yeah.
0: and. I was about to go out for my first backpack trip with my new old used backpack that my aunt found for me for $5 at a garage sale. Mm. It was like this old aluminum external frame camp trails backpack, $5. But it allowed me to carry my stuff and go out and get out there. Um, I was kayaking this weekend on the Huron River. I saw this kid, right? So he's like this teenager in this old, like faded you know sun faded kayak he had custom built rod holders out of pvc pipe (laughs) attached to a wooden frame made out of two by fours that he you know bolted you know to the kayak Mm -hmm. with that held a a milk crate full of all of his all of his fishing gear Mm -hmm. you know so so that kid he wasn't going out buying like you know a fifteen hundred dollar fishing kayak who knows where he got this it definitely wasn't new but it doesn't matter that kid loves fishing so much that he got whatever he could get his hands on and custom modified it with just the materials laying around to get him out there and get him fishing
2: yep
0: um and the other thing that struck me about that is i guarantee that kid doesn't own river property
1: no probably not
0: So the only way that he got on that river with his, you know, custom-modified PVC wood milk crate fishing kayak. You know where I'm going here? Public access. Public access. Yep. Public access. So when you can get somebody in with, like, that entry point shotgun or a $5 backpack or, you know, a PVC mount fishing rig. Yep. That's the thing. When you're getting people in with that entry level they may or they probably don't have their own property like the only way somebody you know using that is getting out and hunting is often only if they have access to public land
1: well i would say a majority of hunters and fishers don't own their own you know property they can go do it on or they might own a few acres for whitetail but what if they want to go duck hunting right you need public access right
0: and and how many i mean you want to get young kids involved how many college-age kids have their own hunting property? Their their dad might. Their yeah. uncles might. Right. But do you want to rele- relegate hunting only to those people who grew up in those families, or do you want to get new people involved? And that's why those entry-point shotguns like that are so great. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's also why legislation that would take away public land or limit the public land or public access available for hunting, fishing, and trapping mm-hmm. would be a bad thing. Yep. That was a very long transition.
1: But important Yeah, to transition. To.
0: <laughs> so we're going to talk now about Senate Bills 39 and 40. Yep. Um, if you've been following along with MUCC, with our Action Alerts, with Capital News Service, if you've been listening to literally any outdoor radio or reading any outdoor media in Michigan the last few weeks, then you probably heard about these bills. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with these bills... And and I want to make something very clear. The problem is with the bills. Right. The actual legislation. The words. The words in the the legislation. We're not talking about the legislator. I'm not even going to mention the legislator's name. We're not talking about the legislator. We're not talking about the double super secret intent behind the legislation. Yep. All we're talking about are the words in the bill and what that bill would do. So,
1: Which is, I mean, it's bad enough. We don't need to talk about those other things.
0: Right. So in various ways, what what the bills do in some is the bills cover about 50 pages, and they basically put conditions in place that in those situations would prevent the DNR from getting land. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to make this clear. We're not saying it would prevent the dnr from obtaining any land anytime at anywhere what we're saying is that it creates artificial conditions that wouldn't otherwise exist that when those conditions are triggered the dnr wouldn't be able to acquire public land and public access in those situations Mm -hmm. it creates other situations where the dnr would have to sell public land now we're not saying that it contains anywhere in the bill the words the dnr shall sell x amount of acres no matter what 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 it creates are conditions where if those conditions are met, artificial conditions which would not otherwise exist but for this legislation, that basically lays out a trap that if the DNR falls into it, the only way out of it is to sell public land. Yep. Um, it, de- it deals with making it easier for the DNR to declare public land surplus with pretty much anybody wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it micromanages how the DNR manages that land for wildlife habitat in various ways as well. So, MUCC has taken a very strong stand against this legislation for a very simple reason. As we've talked about, public land and public access are places to hunt, fish, and trap. Mm-hmm. If we limit public land and public access, we are limiting the opportunities to hunt, fish, and trap. As long as public land provides a place to hunt, fish, and trap, there is no way that you can take away public land and public access and have that be good for hunting, fishing, and trapping. If you have fewer places to hunt, fish, and trap, that is bad for hunting, fishing, and trapping. Am I making any sense?
1: Seems pretty clear.
0: I mean, if you do pretty much anything... And doing that thing requires a place to do it, and you take away the place to do it, that is bad for the thing that you're trying to do. Yep. So that's all lead into, basically, we got accused of saying that the bill does stuff that it doesn't. Actually, we went right down word word for word with the legislation, and that's exactly what it does. Yep, it does. All right, so let's start going through some of the provisions in this bill um, and what our problem with them is. So, for one, it says that if any county or township has over 33% federal, state, or commercial forest land, Mm -hmm. then that county or township has a veto over any land acquisition by the DNR for public hunting, fishing, or trapping use. So... What that creates is basically any local township or any local county can deny all the people of Michigan a place to hunt, fish, and trap. And where this becomes a problem is, let's say that you have a deer yard in the UP. Yep. You know, we all know that the UP deer are in trouble. We all know that they require very specific conditions for winter habitat to be able to stay out of the worst of the weather conditions, to be able to evade predators. There are these large areas called winter deer complexes. Mm-hmm. or deer wintering complexes. The majority of deer wintering complexes in the UP are not in public hands right now. Right. They're, in, they're in private ownership. Yep. The only way that the state can make sure that those deer wintering complexes continue to be prime deer habitat and don't get converted into some other type of land, you know, whether that's through development or, you know, land conversion, is to put them in public ownership. So let's say that one of these deer wintering complexes that's currently in private ownership comes available for sale. That's a priority acquisition that the DNR would want to get if that local county or that local township didn't want any more public land because of, you know, the effect on the tax base, mm-hmm. well now the DNR can't get that land. They can't conserve conserve that wildlife habitat. Now, you might say that that's good for the finances of that county, but that's certainly not good for hunting, fishing, or trapping. Right. Now there's an exception to this, and the exception would be that local veto power doesn't exist if the DNR sold an equivalent amount of acreage in that same county or township within the prior 60 days. So now you've created an artificial situation that would force the DNR to have to sell land. Right. Because, of, you know, there's a deer wintering complex, Their mandate to protect wildlife habitat, trying to increase the UP deer population or at least maintain what's, <laughs> what's left there, mm-hmm. says that that's a priority for us to acquire. Well, let's say it's a section. Let's say it's a 640-acre section in a township, and that township doesn't want any more public land, but there's this deer wintering complex available. The only way for them to get that is to arbitrarily designate 640 acres somewhere else in the township and sell that off. Right. Whether or not that meets DNR strategic objectives, they just have to sell off that acre for acre in order to acquire the land that does meet the, the habitat objectives. Yep. So we think that's poor public land strategy. Whether or not we own public land ought to be based on does it meet the, the DNR's strategic objectives You know, for wildlife habitat, for public outdoor recreation. It shouldn't just be we need this acre over here for deer habitat, so we just have to designate and sell like an acre somewhere else. That's not strategic whatsoever. And we actually have a strategic plan that ought to be adopted that guides how that happens. Right. There's There's one more... Section of this that I want to cover just on this podcast. Like I said, this bill goes on for 50 pages. I'm not going to make you listen to me for 50 pages. <laughs> Logan's like, please don't. No, we got to keep it
1: listenable. Right. Yeah.
0: So the other provision that I want to highlight that's within this bill that's really troubling is that it purports to lift the land cap, except that it reinstates it if there's ever a payment in lieu of tax that is late to any local unit of government in the northern lower peninsula or the up Mm -hmm. so here's the way that that works it would take off the the current land cap that exists on the northern lower and the up but then it says for any land acquisitions in the northern lower of the up think like knuckles north if you're using your hand as the state of michigan If the DNR is ever late on a payment in lieu of tax payment to that local unit of government, then that land cap immediately goes into effect and no land can be purchased knuckles north in Michigan until that's settled. Here's the problem with that. So payments in lieu of taxes are payments made by the state to a local unit of government to make up for the fact that that's not in in private hands and generating tax revenue. But the funds for that are appropriated by the legislature. They're not appropriated by the DNR. The DNR administers a payment of them, but the DNR can only pay out what the legislature has appropriated to it. So the legislature would basically be passing a law saying, if we fail to make our our obligation of appropriating these funds, then the citizens of the state are going to be punished by not having additional public land to hunt, fish, and trap on. Right. So basically the legislature, if they pass that, they would basically be setting up a thing that punishes the DNR for their own failings. (laughs) I I can't figure out how that would make any sense. Um, But this comes from the fact that a few years ago, payments were late, payments were short because the legislature didn't appropriate those funds. But there was actually a bill passed two years ago. Since that bill was passed, there hasn't been any... Pilt payments that were late from any township that filed for the payments on time. And that came out during the committee hearings on this. So basically, it's a solution to a problem that no longer exists, and a problem that, if it did exist, is solely within the ability of the legislature itself to fix. Right. Um, but if that got triggered, that same thing would happen. Once you go into a land cap... Once again, let's say we have a deer wintering complex, or let's say we have a public access site on a, on a northern Michigan river or lake. A local township or government could veto that in that veto situation. But if you're under land cap, it means you can't purchase it at all, unless you arbitrarily sell off the same amount of acreage as somewhere else in the northern Lower Peninsula.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So you know you're basically creating these artificial situations that wouldn't otherwise exist. That if those situations get triggered the DNR would have to sell land. And then the other thing that these bills do is they basically loosen up the rules on what is or isn't surplus land. So surplus land is land that the DNR says, you know what, you know, it might be tax-reverted, might not be connected to other public land, might be landlocked. It's just land that the state owns that doesn't meet its, its objectives and its needs. Well, this bill would say that pretty much any land can be designated as surplus as long as pretty much any private entity requests it.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we we covered surplus land quite a bit with that Greymont thing, right?
0: Right, and and some of this stems out of that. Mm-hmm. What happened with the with the Greymont situation though is there was an application for the purchase of land and to designate that as surplus, and instead, what happened was it became an exchange. So they got the land that they wanted to do the mining on. However, they had to acquire land to exchange so that the people of Michigan didn't lose out on public land to hunt, fish, and trap.
1: Right. So it- this would. Enable that situation without the, the
2: exchange, correct? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so basically it would say if, if some company thinks it can make a, a dime on it, upon request, it can be designated as surplus. Yep. Um, and, and the way that that works in legislation is if there's any economic benefit, that can be designated as surplus or upon request any land that's not a surplus can be subject to the same rules as surplus land that's basically a really detailed way of saying under this legislation of pretty much anybody wants a chunk of public land upon request it could it could be designated as surplus another saying otherwise it'd be saying like as long as anybody wants this chunk of land then the then the state doesn't need it
1: Right the language says if there's any economic benefit
0: any economic benefit and be, and oh, or the higher bar of quote upon request yeah. that's a high bar right there could as, be, as, yeah. as, as long as some golf course thinks that you know what we could build another eight over here so I guess nobody needs to hunt fish and trap on it yep you know that's basically what it's saying it, it could be a a township or a condo association on a northern Michigan lake saying yeah I know this is the only public access to this lake. But we want it so the people of Michigan don't need it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I, I want to make it very clear. That's probably not the exact intent of the legislation, but it doesn't matter because legisl- the effect of legislation is not dependent on what the super secret intent of, of the legislator is. All that matters are the words in the bill yep. and what what the effect of those words are and what they would allow in the future. Yeah. and And that's where our problem with this comes in, so... I know, we've kind of gone off on that one, but I tell you what, you bring up selling off public land or denying public access to hunt, fish, and trap, that's when I get a little bit upset. It's kind of a big deal. A little bit of a big deal. Yeah. But we're not going to let it happen. That's a bold statement, but that's a true statement. Right. So talking about a bold tr- statement and a true statement, at Rama this year, we got to talk to Vanguard Outdoor Company. Mm-hmm. Um, they make Vanguard Optics. And actually, right after we talked to them, they came out with the Pioneer Packs as well. So we, we talked sat down and talked with them on the podcast. Um, so we're gonna tee that up right now. And you can hear our interview with Vanguard Outdoor, Vanguard Optics, and Pioneer Packs. Alright, we're back with Michigan Out of Doors Podcast here at Outdoorama, and I'm broadcasting right here from the Vanguard booth with Lloyd Dustin. Uh, so, Vanguard Optics. Um, you guys are based right
2: here in Michigan, right? That's correct. Whitmore Lake, Michigan. Okay. Not too far from me. I'm actually in Ann Arbor. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Right around the corner. Yep. Cool. So, you, that's where your headquarters is? That's where you guys design all of your optics? All of your- yeah, We
3: our warehouse is there. Our sales office and admin office is there. Our factory is in Myanmar. Uh, we ship them over here, and we distribute them from
2: Whitmore Lake, Michigan. So awesome. So, you guys are a well established Michigan company, and you actually support a lot of great Michigan companies um, basically. Yeah, I see you with uh, Michigan Outdoors, I see you drop of the Cardinals, the guys from Michigan, uh, uh, Michigan Barkpool too. So, that's really neat to see. Yeah, but I think what most people want to hear about right now is your awesome product. So, what's
3: your product line? What do you have? Yeah. Yep. Like I said earlier, we, uh, we have our own staff of engineers, uh, they're all in-house, and we also own our factory, so nothing is outsourced, so no coatings get missed, the presents are all ground in-house, assembled in-house, and shipped to our warehouse, so it's a very, very good attention to detail. We have binoculars ranging from $79.99 all the way to $499.99, everything in between. So our most popular models are Endeavor ED generation has Chinese ed glass, the second generation ED2s has Japanese glass by Hoya, very, very high-end
2: glass. And by owning the factory, that must help with some of that cost savings, you're not getting that market. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's a big, big part. There's no two-step system there, so it's all direct. So when you yep. see some of the prices, don't think, well, this is just like, like a $79. You realize that Vanguard is getting cost savings by owning the factory to pass that extra expense on. You know, You're able to get a high-quality yep. that's, that's absolutely right. It's a strong value because there's no middle person. So, yep. right. so you have I see, you have the, the binoculars here, you have rifle scopes, you have spotting scopes. Yeah,
3: our categories for the glass runs binoculars, spotting scopes, and rifle scopes. Great.
2: Now, in, in Michigan, obviously, everybody uses You know, Especially where I hunt up in northern Michigan, it's yeah. almost, you know, um, you know, when you're hunting, in, especially in the northern zone. But wherever you're hunting, how do you use optics? I think a lot of folks, you know, kind of mm-hmm. assume that optics and scopes are just something that you use out west. Yeah. But how can people maximize the use that's of a, good binoculars a, here in Michigan with Yeah. Process and process. yeah.
3: That, that's an excellent question. Uh, most guys that see us, well, they, they think the bigger is better. That's absolutely not the case. For Michigan type of applications, 8 power is certainly a standard. Like an 8 by
2: 42, eight by 42. Yeah.
3: You get a bigger field of view, better light transmission, and a more stable. Most guys again, they think they want like 10 power or 12 power, it's just you know, some instrument to use when it gets that high of magnification. So I strongly recommend 8 power, it's a personal preference thing. Now, out west, you're gonna want something you know higher power obviously, There's lots of applications for spotting scopes. On the rifle bench, uh, a lot of guys are hiding in their weapons. You, they can see bullet holes at 200 yards. Um, you can use them for nature viewing, obviously. And they're all, all of our glass in the spotting scopes is ED glass. And they're very upper end, good resolution, uh, magnesium barrels, waterproof, fog-proof. Dual gear focus wheel on our, on our HD model, so you get a coarse micro-adjustment and also a fast gear adjustment as well. Tell us about your uh, rifle scopes. Rifle scopes, Yep, yeah, we have several configurations. Uh, we have a 1-inch tube uh, series as well as a 30-millimeter tube series. The 30-millimeter tube series, people think the 30-millimeter tubes are to enable more light transmission. It is not the reason we, we developed them. The reason for 30-millimeter 30, 30 tubes is to get more adjustability in the turrets, more range of adjustability. So...
2: So, on your website, can people find more specs about your your products here? What's your website where people can find that? Yep,
3: the website is www.vanguardworld.us. Everything is on there. We have a dealer locator on there as well. Product profiles, specifications, and all, of, all the
2: reviews are on there as well. And I know just from where I shop at J. Sporting Goods that you guys are there. Um, yep. You can really find Vanguard at all the major sporting goods stores all over Michigan, right?
3: Good question. Uh, J. Sporting Goods, both stores have them. Uh, Frank's Great Outdoors. Cabela's and um Shoebox and Jackson. Just go to the dealer locator, type in your zip code, and we'll give you a radius of dealers.
2: Awesome. Well, Lloyd, thank you very much for taking some time to, to speak with us. We actually had to delay this podcast quite a bit because you had so many people stop. Yeah, we've, go been out your outfit, yeah so we've been hopping. Yeah, we've been hopping over here. That's a good problem to have. Thank come, you very come much. Come see us.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition of Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. Defend your rights to hunt, fish, and trap by joining MUCC at MUCC.org.